This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And here's an experience you might be familiar with. You're online, browsing the web, and you go to your favorite store's website. You notice a nice shirt or a pair of shoes, and you click on them just to, just to check it out. But you decide after some deliberation that maybe you don't need the new shirt. Maybe you'll just come back to it later. So you head over to another website, maybe onpointradio.org, just to sort of check in on the latest high-quality news analysis that you rely on. Okay, sorry. I had to do that. Shameful plug. But the point is, as you're at that other website, in the middle of it, as you're scrolling, suddenly you notice the same ad or you notice the shirts and the shoes that you had just looked at on that clothing website. And it's in the middle of your article, that ad. And then you notice the same ad the next day on a completely different website. And then the next day and the next day and the next day, maybe even into the next week, that ad is stalking you all over the internet. So patience hanging. First of all, welcome to On Point. And second of all, why do ads stalk us across the internet? Thank you so much for having me. Um, so fascinating question. Um, one, uh, just a, a, an experience that probably everyone has had. This is why that shirt is stalking you across the internet. When you looked at it, the the e-commerce that you were on dropped what's called a cookie on your browser, which is uh, something you, you'll never see. It's a text file that basically contains the information that you looked at that shirt and when you looked at it, that little file stays on your browser. When you go to another site, that site can see it and understand the information. That's why they hit you with it again. And the reason this practice has gone on and become so pervasive is because each of the businesses involved kind of gets something out of it. That e-commerce site gets to keep reminding you about that shirt. Uh, the Ad, the ad exchange company gets to like sell an ad to place it right there. Uh, and the website that you're looking at, maybe maybe you're reading the Wall Street Journal and you see where you see this ad for that shirt, that site gets to sell the ad. Uh, and because that ad is targeted, really specific to you personally, that website actually gets to charge more for the ad. So it's 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 kind of created a system where all of those companies can make a little money based mm. on sharing information about you. And by the way, patience, I truly appreciate your plug for the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> as, as well. I had to. You you had to, and I had <laughs> exactly. to. Exactly. So let me give you your, your full intro here. Patience is a reporter at the Wall Street Journal, and she covers digital advertising and broadband. And she's reported extensively on some pretty big changes in the world of cookies uh, that have to do with Google. And, and we're going to get to that in a second, Patience. But, you know, the whole, I'm old enough now to remember when cookies were a new thing <laughs> decades ago. And like, we're like, wow, what is this thing doing? And it's, it's kind of amazing. And it's called cookies. So I just want to actually um, talk a little tiny bit of history here for a second, because back in the day when the internet was a young place full of possibility, there was no way for websites to remember uh, you or your preferences when you visited them. Things like, you know, if the site offered multiple languages and you changed it to a non-default setting for your preferred language, the site couldn't remember that. And you'd have to do it every time you went back to that website. It was a known problem that we had yet to address. Uh, but all of the prior solutions that had been proposed essentially could be used as a tracking mechanism. So the core concept of cookies and the eureka moment was, 
what if we just created a identifier that was only associated with individual websites and was not shared between websites? Uh, and then cookies were made a little bit broader in that they can store small bits of information rather than just a, uh, a unique identifier. So that's Lou Montuli. He is best known as a founding member of Netscape and the inventor of cookies. So as you heard, they were supposed to be useful and user-friendly and help you have a better experience on the Internet. That was the original vision. Uh, we also asked him, though, why are the cookies called cookies? And Montuli says that might have just been an accident. The idea was really very similar to something I had learned in a operating systems course while still in college. And my memory, although I was never able to find the textbook that I, uh, that I thought I got this out of, was that this concept was called a cookie or a magic cookie. And it's really akin to a fortune cookie in which you have a message written into a cookie. And then that is held by somebody and then the cookies were turned back to that person and the message is read. So that's Lou Montuli. He uh, is best known as the founding member of Netscape and the inventor of cookies. So, patients, how did something that was intended to make a user experience easier on the Internet, how did it turn into this uh, hidden critical part of online advertising? Fantastic question. Um, and it's it's just, you know, Lou, who we just heard from, he developed a technology that was so flexible and so kind of so simple that it could be used for so many other things, right? And mm -hmm. as the web grew, people found other things to use it for. Um, it's, I mean, the cookie has played a huge role in the history of the web and developing it, right? But so many of these sites that were springing up you know, and providing like fascinating content online and opening up the way we communicate, those sites needed a way to make money yeah. off their site, right? So this is, yeah, they developed this whole new ecosystem of advertising, this whole new, I guess you could say this whole new way of advertising that's targeted to the individual. And they realized that cookies, like, you know, they were so flexible, they were, they were, they were just a good way to do this, to slap that user with information about what they'd done and then know a lot of very personal, detailed information about that user when you came to the site. Mm. Now, um, I'm not a super huge fan of cookies. Uh, full, <laughs> full disclosure, I use a browser that killed off third-party cookies a while ago. We'll talk about that in a second. But I do know, I mean, many people actually don't mind them, right, because it does facilitate um, you know, uh, not just advertising, but maybe people finding things they want, um, those those browser settings, et cetera. So I, I don't want to malign them entirely. But there has been enough concern over especially third-party cookies that Google has announced it's going to make a major change to the Chrome browser. So what is that change? Uh, Google is planning to deprecate or kind of block third-party cookies from working in the Chrome browser. And uh, like you were just explaining, like there's a big difference between um, what the techies call first-party cookies and third-party cookies. First-party cookies are the ones that, are, um, that belong to the website itself, you could say. Mm -hmm. uh, those tend to be the ones that are necessary to make the site function. If you don't accept those, then you might have some problems with the site. Third-party cookies... Those so those 
cookies, they make it possible for companies to send data about you to other companies. They're the ones that are kind of sending your data around the web to different companies involved in an ad auction, for instance. Those are the ones that are um, that have kind of become so crucial to this whole advertising ecosystem. Those are the ones Google's going to block. Okay. Now, you have written in several articles in the journal about the magnitude of this change, which this is what I think the surprising thing was to me. Like in one of your articles, you said the changes are among the biggest in the history of the $600 billion a year online ad industry. Why? Because um, just there's so many companies, um, you know, like B2B companies that most people would never have heard of that have built their entire, you know, very profitable business on participating in these digital ad auctions on with this highly targeted data about you. Um, once it becomes, it's about to become a lot harder to get that highly targeted data. Uh, it's it's really going to change those companies' business models drastically. There's going to be a period of adjustment. A lot of companies are kind of figuring out ways to to do what they do without the cookie, to do what they do without with with less of this data. Okay, but I mean, people might say, "Well, what's the big deal?" Uh, as you know, as even as I mentioned earlier, I'm a Firefox user. Uh, Firefox killed off third-party cookies a, uh, a long time ago, so it's not that uh, there's anything um, you know anti-competitive about doing it. Why are people paying so much attention attention to Google wanting to do the same thing in Chrome? Great point. Great question. It's because Google also has a giant digital ad business of its own, right? So Safari, which is Apple's browser, and Firefox, both of them just blocked third-party cookies, said we're doing it to protect users' privacy. No one batted an eye, right? But when Google starts talking about blocking third-party cookies, uh, the whole ad industry is is quick to jump up and, and complain about it. They, you know, people are raising concerns that... By doing this, Google might, by making this change in Chrome, Google might do something that hands its digital ad business a big, a big boon. It might, it might benefit them over other digital ad businesses. Okay, I guess this gets to the point um, that whenever we talk anything regarding Google, we'll talk, we're talking big, right? Because in terms of, I don't remember if it's percentage of browsers used worldwide, but but Chrome has sixty five percent of the of of the market in terms of uh, browser traffic. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's well, it's well more than half. It's still the dominant browser for so many people. So when they do it, it's it's we're you know even even as Safari and Firefox blocked them, uh, and that the the ad industry uh, had to adjust to that. It was it was an impact for them. It's like. It's it's going to be so much of a greater impact when they lose, you know, most of the audience when Chrome does it. Okay, so just to reiterate, we're, we're going to talk about the the deeper concerns and potential consequences um, a, a little bit later in the show. But it sounds like fundamentally, what people are worried about is that if Google successfully uh, completes its mission to block third party cookies in the Chrome browser, that uh, that just leaves Google as the collector of the of that information, and is that the problem? Yes, that's the problem. It might create a kind of create a new paradigm where, you know, Google's still going to have tons of data about you, but other companies won't. It might create a paradigm where Google is like 
you know, so much richer in data than than so many, so uh, many other parties. And that data equals money. So we'll talk more about that when we come back. We are exploring why Google is saying that it wants to block all third-party cookies from the Chrome browser and why that matters to you. So we'll be back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash on point. That's Indeed.com slash on point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And today we're talking about Google's plan to phase out third-party cookies in its Chrome browser and why that matters to you. I'm joined today by Patience Hagen. She's a reporter at The Wall Street Journal, and she covers digital advertising and broadband. And I want to bring Alan Chappelle into the conversation now as well. He's president of Chappelle & Associates, a consulting firm that helps marketers build customer trust through responsible privacy practices. And he also serves as outside counsel and chief privacy officer to digital media companies. Alan, welcome to On Point. Thanks for having me, Megna. Okay, so first of all, um, explain to me or to us in greater detail what exactly advertisers say they're going to lose if Google does phase out you know, third-party cookies from Chrome. Sure. So I think to put put all of this into some context, uh, every time there is a uh, a significant change to the privacy landscape, so you go into GDPR and the, the general data privacy regulation in Europe, you look at some of the California regulations coming down now, you look at uh, some of the uh, rules that Apple has imposed on their marketplace, every single time there's a change to these rules, uh, what ends up happening is that the small to mid-sized companies uh, have a much more difficult time reaching their target customers, and the larger companies have a more and more difficult time uh, understanding the efficacy of their media spend. And uh, and then the third thing that happens is that larger, the walled gardens, such as Google, uh, gets a larger and larger share of the market and a larger and larger share of the data. Mm. So let's take that one step further, though, because, I mean, ultimately, our concern here at the show is why does it matter to individual uh, people, right? Um, and so do they stand to lose anything if Google prevents third-party cookies from from embedding themselves into Chrome? 
Well, I think there's some downstream impacts here. For the for one thing, uh, there's a whole bunch of small to mid-sized you know, niche products that probably would not have made it into the market over the last several years in part um, because – uh, it's just prohibitively expensive to uh, to advertise, and and you become more and more reliant on the the proverbial walled gardens in order to advertise, and so uh, the consumers are arguably robbed of um, uh, of of products that they they you know currently enjoy. Um, the the second thing is that it makes it more and more difficult for publishers to monetize their revenue, and they become more and more reluctant or more reliant on uh, the walled gardens like Google. And when that happens, that there are downstream pressures on the amount that those publishers can charge, because if you're operating a monopoly, historically speaking anyway, uh, once you make a billion dollars, you're going to want to figure out how to make a billion and a half dollars. And, and uh, over time, the, the best way to do that is to squeeze everybody else in the supply chain. So you're going to have a situation where uh, advertisers aren't happy and consumers are going to be deprived of, of uh, uh, access to certain products and services. And then there's going to be a negative impact on uh, CPMs that publishers can charge. And as a result, I think you're going to see uh, fewer and fewer digital content choices available to consumers. I know that's a long-winded way and uh, consumers are sometimes have trouble uh, understanding and recognizing that there are often downstream impacts to decisions that they otherwise think might impact them. They okay. might not impact them. Okay. So I'm glad to hear that means, this means a lot more than when someone, you know, clicks on a, a pair of crazy shoes they saw in Zappos and those shoes just follow them around the internet. But Patience, I think this is a good time for us to take a step back and um, reacquaint ourselves with really Google's position in online advertising, right? So, I mean, this is the company that, uh, you know, when they, when they decided to bring um, ads and ad searches to Google, really completely revolutionized um, online advertising. So how would you describe, uh, you know, Google's size and importance to these days, and actually also the money that it's making when it comes to online advertising? Uh, Google is an absolute behemoth in online advertising. They, um, you know, maybe the the part of Google that might be best known to consumers is things like search um, and maps. Both of them, they sell ads there based on kind of what, what you're searching for, what kind of businesses you're searching for on maps. Um, then they have YouTube where they, you know, have videos about everything you could possibly imagine and they sell ads on that. But the the part that's kind of at play here is it's not even those businesses you might know them for. It's their B2B business that consumers probably have never heard of, where they um, basically help websites across the web sell ads, right? And they have they have several different pieces of software that are used um, both for the the brands who buy the ads and the publishers who run the ads. This is um, this is a huge part of Google's business, um, and they you know they're like such an eight hundred pound gorilla in the market that whatever they do, um, they can really drastically change the rules of the road for every other company in that industry. So when we said that six hundred billion dollar annual uh, size of the online advertising industry, Google has. What, a, a ginormous chunk of that. 
Yes, they absolutely do. Okay. I'm sorry I used the word ginormous. My kids are getting in my head right now. Um, but What's wrong with words like that? <laughs> I tr- do try to maintain some degree of professionalism, but I slip every now and then. Um, but but so but the idea of uh, of third party cookies, even prior to Google's decision, again, just for background here, it had already been raising an incredible amount of concern amongst digital privacy advocates, right? Isn't that what led to uh, uh, or contributed to Firefox and Apple deciding to, to, to block those cookies? Yes, absolutely. And that's that's what's leading browsers to take this step. It's the privacy pressures. You know, when um, when those cookies get left on your browser and then those cookies get seen by all the sites you go to, you know, they're essentially leaking data about you. It's sending data about you out to like to any website you go to, right? So when you get to that site that, you know, they already know a lot about you. That's the privacy violation, you know, in some people's eyes. That's at play here. Uh, you know, that's that's why Google, Safari and Firefox have already done it. That's why Google is doing it now. They're coming under, you know, they, they've been coming under pressure from privacy advocates and from governments to do something about the way that data is sent out all over the web. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that, about the government part? And, and Alan, I'm going to come back to you in a second. But because, look, the, uh, cynically speaking, uh, I'm always surprised when Google says it cares about privacy, right? Because, because basically um, their business model, like other giant online companies, is uh, founded on not <laughs> not giving you privacy. So what kind of pressure has Google been under, again, uh, politically and even um, through regulatory means to m- want to make this big change in Chrome? Patience, go ahead. They, they are coming under pressure from, like, from um, new privacy laws that are being passed, right? Like, uh, privacy regulations in Europe are are one of the big reasons why you have to opt into cookies on so many websites, uh, and other you know a lot of U.S. states are are passing regulations that create more and more restrictions about how what you can do with the user's data, how freely you can transmit it to other companies. Uh, so if you know if they can rein in cookies, that would kind of um, that that can really like ease up on the liability here and it's it's like if they don't you know if they don't do it now it's easy to imagine that it, it'll it'll just become harder and harder to use these cookies as more and more privacy laws come down okay Alan so on that point first of all if you want to um, uh, add to what pa- patience is saying go ahead but I also I want to oh yeah go ahead go ahead yeah so so I think first you have to take a look at some of the underlying business models so your Firefox browser how does Firefox make money they make money uh, on search traffic they don't make money using cookies in the digital digital advertising world. You look at Apple. How does Apple make money? They're essentially a consumer electronics company uh, who happens to have a very, very lucrative uh, mobile app store uh, where they get 15 to 30% of, of uh, VIG on everything going through that, that, uh, the, the, the iPhone. Um, so, you know, bringing this back to Google, yes, they are certainly under some pressure. But one thing to really keep in mind about cookies is they do provide a certain amount of transparency. And, and, and I'm sharing that in this context because if you look at the European Union where uh, anytime you place a third-party cookie the, and, and you don't get a consent, uh, the European Union will fine 
the company. Okay, so you're Google. Uh, you're getting you know 25 and 50 million euro fines because you're placing cookies. Well, perhaps one way to avoid those fines is to remove the cookie. Mm. And so the broader point I'm making here is that that removal of third-party cookies doesn't uh, doesn't erase online tracking. What it does is it eliminates a certain constituency from online tracking, and it puts power into the hands of a small handful of companies uh, who are able to continue uh, online tracking in, in a way that's even more covert than the current system. A small handful of companies, so more than just Google? Well, I, I, I would say you've got Apple, you've got Amazon, oh, you've got right. the social okay. networks, um, yeah. Yeah. I, okay. Understood. Now, I, I I wasn't sure if you meant um, the people hosting the traffic or um, you know, as sort of one of the the B two B companies in that murky middle that most of us don't really understand. But I, I also note, though, Alan, that Google has said or is saying, well, they're going to offer other tools um, for advertisers to use. So calm down. What do you think? Well, they they are certainly offering other tools. And they are claiming uh, to this day, absent really any evidence to, to the effect, that these tools work. Um, so so uh, l- let's take a half step back. They are effectively building an advertising platform within the, forgive the pun, Chrome of their browser. Now, you're a Firefox user. I'm just curious how you might feel if Firefox had announced that they were all of a sudden going to be taking, uh, building an ad platform within Firefox. Um, I would imagine that would give you some concerns. And in fact, the Firefox people, I believe, the Mozilla folks have been been rather critical of this. So Google is building this ad platform and they're saying, oh, no, 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 don't worry. It's, it's going to be privacy protective. And to Google's credit, uh, there are a number of really interesting ideas being discussed for doing uh, more with less data uh, using this tool set. And so uh, from that perspective, it's a wonderful thing because like, Google has at least uh, uh, initiated some sets of discussions that are long overdue within the digital advertising world around data minimization and trying to do uh, more with less. But that said... Uh, there really is no evidence that this tool works, uh, number one. And number two, uh, it's, it's not really clear to what extent Google is actually going to leverage this, this tool because, uh-huh. as you rightly pointed out, Google's footprint and the number of browsers they're going to have or users they're going to have access to uh, is only going to go down by something like 2 or 3% once third-party cookies are deprecated. Mm, okay, so patients – Elaborate on this, because in your reporting, um, Google uh, says that these tools that they're offering advertisers are going to both help the industry meet its goals, advertising industry, but also respecting consumer privacy. How would that work? Uh, fascinating, fascinating question to talk about how it'll work. Um, and there's there's a whole suite of very kind of very algorithmically advanced tools that are designed like, you know, Google's aim is kind of to share just enough data about the user to make it possible for, you know, for advertisers to do their thing and reach their audience. Um, and there's there's kind of a big fight going on right now about whether those are going to work well enough, whether that is enough data to do what they need to do, 
and whether, and as we're talking about before, whether it it tilts the playing field a little bit in a way that benefits Google's own ad business. Um, in this effort to create these tools, which Google is calling the privacy sandbox, mm. um, one of the reasons it's been debated so much is because it's like some of the tools are quite complex. Like they use sometimes like there's been some proposals to use like algorithmic modeling to understand someone's interests. And some of the tools are more more simple. But um, once you start like trying to share some data about that user's interest, but just enough, then, you know, just enough, not too much. It just becomes like a very kind of precise, it, it just becomes a very kind of complex and fascinating uh, technological question. And Google's also told you that it's working with the uh, online advertising industry in rolling out these changes. Did they tell you more um, along those lines? Yes. Uh, I mean, they've told me plenty. They've for, for years, for a few years now, they've been um, trotting out their proposals in industry forums and they've been they've been listening to very harsh feedback. They've been they've been um, tinkering and retooling their their proposals uh, in response to the feedback they get from other stakeholders in the ad industry. They also have uh, a government regulator kind of, uh, you know, kind of maybe breathing down their neck or, super, you know, looking over their shoulder throughout the process. The UK's competition regulator, mm. uh, which is it's called the CMA, but it's it's like the UK version of the FTC, uh, is, is uh, decided to kind of open an investigation into this process while Google carries it out and gets industry feedback. So they're, they're also dealing with a regulator who's um, kind of doing their part to, like, Make sure these solutions uh, promote a competitive industry, right? And don't don't like to try to to keep Google from self preferencing their own ad business. Got it. You know, we have about a minute before our next break, but um, you know, I, I think I failed to really have us converse uh, enough about what's in those cookies, right? Because we've been focusing on advertising right now, which is uh, where a lot of the concern is coming from. But I was just looking back at some of your reporting patients, and you remind us that the cookies can basically compile uh, profiles as detailed as their creators want. So it's not just like, what do you are you interested in buying? It can even include things like medical history, right? Uh, fascinating point. There's... Um so this is a this is an interesting part of the industry like that based on you know what cookies do is they kind of create it's mostly a record of your browsing right mm-hmm. but sometimes your browsing can can give away valuable information about what your medical conditions are right in terms of what sites you visited and what products you've looked at so these cookies in terms of collecting that data like some players in the industry use that to infer um, what kind of conditions you might have, right? Yeah. And they they can use that to market pharmaceuticals and other products to you. Oh, okay. So Patience Hagen of The Wall Street Journal and Alan Chappelle from Chappelle & Associates. Stand by for just a moment. We'll talk more about why Google's rollout of blocking third-party cookies from the Chrome browser matters to the advertising industry and to you in just a moment. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? 
I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today we're joined by Patience Hagen. She's a reporter for The Wall Street Journal covering digital advertising and broadband, and by Alan Chappelle. He's president of Chappelle & Associates, a law firm focusing on digital privacy. And we've been talking about Google's decision to phase out third-party cookies on its Chrome browser. And by the way, also that would apply to uh, to mobile browsing via Android and how that decision could have an impact not only on data privacy, but on Google's emerging online advertising monopoly. So hold that word in your mind. We're going to come back to that in a moment. So how do other advertisers feel about this change as it's rolling out? Well, Todd Parsons is chief product officer of the advertising technology firm Critio. Well, we've been preparing for this eventuality for several years, and we feel confident that a total rollout is something that we can help our partners through. Um, and because of our relationship with Google, we can work with them very closely to help them adapt the APIs to be successful. Now, we've mentioned earlier that Apple's Safari and Mozilla's Firefox had already killed off third-party cookies quite some time ago. But some of the pushback now comes because Google Chrome, as we also mentioned, has a much bigger stronghold on overall web traffic. And Google generates substantial revenue from advertising. Hundreds of billions of dollars, in fact. But Parsons says that collaborative relationships or that that collaborative relationship is another difference that's actually been positive. Back when Apple phased out third-party cookie support in the Safari browser, it was something that was more or less announced and followed through on, and that left advertising tech companies in a bit of a lurch to find new ways to address consumers, right place, right time, right message. But what's different today is... It's actually more of a partnership with Google to balance between the promise of privacy-preserving replacement to third-party cookie with the utility that advertisers ultimately want to deliver through it. But Parsons acknowledges that Critio is in a unique position as one of the biggest names in advertising technology, and not every ad tech company had the opportunity to test out Google's privacy sandbox. That's what patients had been talking about earlier. The lack of clear data could mean that those walled gardens of advertising can continue to grow. I think what everybody is fearing here is that the ability of advertising to work at the same efficacy it did before on the open web will be compromised in such a way that only the platforms that 
are serving fully logged in consumers will actually be used more than the open web. So what he's talking about, there are platforms like Facebook, Instagram, even Google, where companies have clear data about their users from first party cookies and user volunteered information. Now, Google is currently testing Privacy Sandbox, its replacement for those third party cookies, with 1% of Chrome users, but it's still a huge number of people. Parsons says it's too early to predict what the outcome will be once third party cookies are fully phased out. We will be learning a lot over the course of the year, and it's very easy to jump to conclusions and take an extreme view. It seems like the current narrative is very focused on, well, privacy sandbox won't work or it will work. I see it very much as a process, and I think it's one of these topics that should be revisited all year to check in and say, what do the gaps look like? How are we doing? How do we fill them? And that becomes a very productive conversation. So that was Todd Parsons, chief product officer at the ad tech firm Critio. Alan, I'd love to hear your response to what Todd said, because I, I think he's right. Whenever we talk about anything regarding Google, because of its enormity in, um, you know, in our digital lives, there is a tendency to uh, immediately go to extremes. I don't think that's an unfair tendency, by the way. But, you know, he's I just want to know what you think about his pushback against those extreme views regarding third party cookies. Well, I, so I'm a big fan of Todd's and I'm a big fan of uh, Critio. Uh, one thing is Critio just announced that they were going to have a 30 to $40 million shortfall at the end of the year, in part as a result of the deprecation of third-party cookies. And so um, to me, that seems like a pretty significant amount of money. Um, I agree with a lot of what Todd says in terms of reasonableness and check in periodically to see if the privacy sandbox is working. But the one thing I would take issue with from Todd is that I, I think that the comparison of Apple to Google is, is a bit of a, a false comparison. I would agree that Apple does what Apple does, and they sort of stick their middle finger up uh, at everybody and just say, well, deal with it. And Google is, is almost like the Ted Lasso of the world, where he's very collaborative and they're certainly very friendly. However, Apple and Google are not starting from the same point. Apple has historically had a closed ecosystem, which Apple uh, takes great pains to control. Mm -hmm. So Apple doing something that restricts their closed ecosystem should not be viewed in the same lens as something that Google is doing to an otherwise open ecosystem with, uh, uh, with a long history of interoperability. So Google is, is effectively uh, you know, pulling a moat around what was used to be a closed, I'm sorry, used to be an open uh, ecosystem. And so, again, I don't think Apple and Google are starting from the same place. Interesting. Patience, did you have some thoughts on that? Um, I think Alan covered it in, in a kind of a fantastic way, honestly. I couldn't have put it better myself. Including the combination of using uh, metaphors of obscene gestures and Ted Lasso in the same... <laughs> same analysis. I love it. Okay. So, so here's what I wanted to get to. We had mentioned the word monopoly uh, and patients you had earlier described um, Google's in enormity in the online ad space. It is not technically a monopoly in that space yet, but Google has received a lot of federal scrutiny um, about its online advertising business and practices. 
A year ago, the Department of Justice filed a lawsuit against Google for monopolizing digital advertising technology. So here's, uh, from back then, here's Attorney General Merrick Garland. For 15 years, Google has pursued a course of anti-competitive conduct that has allowed it to halt the rise of rival technologies, manipulate auction mechanics to insulate itself from competition, and force advertisers and publishers to use its tools. In so doing, Google has engaged in exclusionary conduct to severely weaken, if not destroy, competition in the ad tech industry. Patience does Google's latest decisions, and I'm thinking particularly of uh, the forcing advertisers to use its tools and insulating itself from competition, does its third-party cookies decisions um, fall into, into that pattern that the attorney general had been talking about? Now that's now that's a fascinating question, right? So like and a lot of people a lot of people are asking it. A lot of Google critics are 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 um kind of asking that exact question. This um the lawsuit you referenced is it's that suit itself is not about cookies. It's about previous actions that were taken in the past, right? Yep. But as Google embarks on this journey to deprecate third-party cookies, there's this overhang of this antitrust lawsuit, right, that's brewing over them. Which And critics would say that, you know, what they do with cookies might be part of the same pattern of um, anti-competitive actions that that benefit their ad business that have allowed their ad business to become so dominant, right? So, like, you know, they're, as they try to, like, play this chess game, they're they're kind of being sued over like chess games they played in the past, yeah, which weren't exactly the same. But of course, like all of that is on their mind. Like they know that they're under intense scrutiny for anything they do. Well, because the the sort of um, view of antitrust has changed considerably, right, in the Biden administration, and a lot of these huge digital companies are are receiving more scrutiny than ever. I mean, so do you think that there has Congress thus far or anybody um, in Washington uh, started saying similar things about the Chrome and third party cookies decision or is it not quite yet on their radar? I I think for better or worse, uh, the fact that the UK's Competition and Markets Authority has taken on this issue, uh, many regulators around the world are sort of feeling like, okay, they've got it. They're the ones addressing this. And so it really hasn't risen to the level uh, within the FTC, at least as far as I know, and within certainly within Congress. I think it's it's, it's, uh, the, 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 the feeling is that the UK folks have it. Okay. But I guess what I'm asking is because um, I know it's hard to feel sympathy for a, you know, trillion dollar business, but uh, couldn't Google uh, feasibly argue that, hey, we're trapped in this difficult position because there's been a lot of pressure to protect data privacy. Um, So we're trying to honor that with the elimination of third party cookies. But at the same time, like if we do that, advertisers are going to get mad. But we can't help it. It's not our fault that we're so successful that Chrome is, you know, regulating sixty-five percent of of internet traffic. I, I mean, Alan, what do you think about that? I think this is mostly theater. 
Okay. Tell me and more. Google, I think Google is, is creating a set of tools that has, incorporates fairly uh, a number of very uh, interesting uh, pro-privacy tools that I don't think Google as a larger company has any intention of honoring for themselves. And so right there, that, that's a bit of a problem. Um, wh when you talk about the impact of or the, what's driving some of Google's decisions, I, I actually agree uh, with you, Meghna, that you have to look at some of the DOG, DOJ suits uh, and the AG case that's uh, coming online in uh, a year or so. Uh, because uh, uh, the, the, way, the way that I look at it, um, I, I think all of this stuff is related because Google is effectively trying to upend the poker table of digital advertising by getting rid of co cookies right before the DOJ is going to start seeking remedies for past bad behaviors. And so, so, so I feel like there's another half to that uh, that that thought. There is this. Is it basically like again the the question of if the third party cookies aren't allowed on Chrome, people are still pouring user data, whether they know it or not, into their their internet usage, and it's Google that now has um, you know the greatest access to that data. Is that what the monopoly fear is? Correct. And, and then I'll even go one further. I mean, Google has historically had a third-party ad tech stack that's been rather profitable. I think what Google's larger plan is to offer that up as part of a preemptive breakup, or at least as part of their strategy. And uh, so if that ad tech stack is wildly less valuable, uh, it becomes, it becomes a uh, chit uh, that they can offer as part of what many of us think will be an eventual breakup of Google. Tell me more about that. You just said the word breakup twice and Google. Well, I, you know, when, whenever a uh, antitrust enforcer uh, is, is looking for remedies, so what, once, you know, and maybe I'm taking a couple of steps ahead, but I think there's a decent chance that, that, uh, that the DOJ is going to prevail at least on some of their claims. And if they don't, the AG, the attorneys general led by Texas. Uh, and so when an antitrust enforcer is looking for uh, remedies once they've found uh, uh, evidence of, of, of bad practices, well, there's really two things. One is a fines, uh, and, and I'm sure there will be fines. And the second remedy is, is a breakup. And you can go back to the old days of, uh, I guess, eighteen. AT&T. AT yeah. uh, and, you know, I don't think we're going to have that level of a breakup, but I, I do think you're going to see some spinoff within Google. And if I were Google, I would be thinking about, well, which entities can we afford to lose? Because they are going to do everything they can to keep the browser, and they're going to do everything they can to keep uh, uh, YouTube and a number of their owned and operated. Uh, their ad tech stack becomes much, much more palatable for them to spin off if that ad tech stack, which historically has relied mostly on third-party cookies, becomes significantly less valuable. Yeah, you know what's really fascinating about that is it's not, it's not ludicrous at all to uh, think ahead to a world in which the federal government could possibly force the, the breakup of some of these enormous technology companies. Uh, we, we did quite a bit of uh, coverage on Amazon a few years ago, and you know Amazon being forced to spin off web services, for example, came up quite, uh, quite frequently. But Patience, I want to turn back to you on that. Uh, and let me just be a little philosophical here. I'll ask you a philosophical question, because I think um, you know, Shoshana Zuboff, she's the deep, great thinker about technology in the 21st century. And in her book, Surveillance Capitalism, I think she wrote one of the most important treatises on the true power in our lives of these big companies. And I, 
I wonder if that's also being played out here that, you know, maybe we're talking about advertising and shoes and T-shirts and whatever, and it might seem like a problem for just the advertising space. But truthfully, what we're talking about is the power to um, control and to use and to perhaps uh, data on the Internet and perhaps even, you know, Zuboff talks about behavior shaping. I mean, is that the kind of thinking that is also warranted when we're discussing um, something as seemingly straightforward as third-party cookies and Chrome? Yes, you know, it absolutely is. Because as, you know, as you were getting, you know, philosophical and quoting uh, Dr. Zuboff, you know, it does get into like, it just, it kind of rewrites the whole internet and and the ad ecosystem. You know, the, the like the ad industry, like, you know, love it or hate it as much as people criticize it, it does actually have a lot of power in shaping how people think, right? So when you rewrite the rules for the ad industry, you know, whether you like it or not, you rewrite the rules for persuasion. Mm. And that's kind of one of the reasons this is so important, not just, you know, not just for business reasons, but it's so important for the future of society. Well, Patience Hagen is reporter for The Wall Street Journal, and she covers digital advertising and broad- broadband. Patience, thank you so much on your uh, your reporting on well, everything, but specifically about Google wanting to kill off third-party cookies. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. And Alan Chappelle, president of Chappelle Associates, a consulting firm that helps marketers build customer trust through responsible privacy practices. Alan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And by the way, I mentioned our previous series from a while ago about Amazon. We've done a lot of tech coverage on this show because we think it's one of the most important forces shaping our lives and our democracy these days. So go ahead and subscribe to the On Point podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to it. You can play around in our archives there and look for our Amazon, our tech coverage, our Google coverage, our surveillance capital coverage. It's uh, a rich treasure trove of ways to understand better how big tech is shaping our lives. That's in our podcast feed. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.